Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. Joining me as always is Felix Sharp. I'm Matt Waldman and I hope you guys have a very happy holiday season and happy new year to each and every one of you out here. Happy new year to you, Felix. Might as well say it to you too. I mean, you know, you're just on the show every week. Like it's like no big deal. Happy new year to you also, Matt. Um, I'm, you know, just honored that you would continue to have me uh, on this show. It's oh, a real man. treat. I went back and kind of watched uh, our Jameer Gibbs video that we did in, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2020 or if it was last year. But I think it was two years um, just, ago. Just watching him now, you know, considering that he's declared for the NFL draft and people are really starting to talk and chime in uh, on his potential. So it's, uh, we've come full circle. We sure have. It's funny. I'm watching him tonight before the show. I've got to wrap up a, another game of his after the show just to um, kind of do my full compliment on him. I've kind of reviewed him, Bijan Robinson and Zach Evans to kind of finish my watching of those guys um, this year. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's kind of fun. And they're, they're, they're somewhat in that order. I mean, somewhat. So... Um, you know, when, when Gibbs entered the transfer portal, I wrote something at campustocant.com. I was concerned that wherever he would transfer to, that they would not utilize him vertically in the passing game on wheel routes out of the backfield, arrows. Um, and that, to a certain extent, came to f fruition. Uh, you know, he did have a successful season this year with, under Bill O'Brien catching the ball, but he was not used in the same way that Jeff Collins used him. I mean, the wheel route was like a staple of that offense. They made your yeah. linebackers guard space and he would be, you know, 15, 16 yards down the field, maybe more. And so um, I'm crossing my fingers that his offensive coordinator takes a look at that Georgia Tech tape from yeah. 2021 and 2020 and sees, you know, how you can really unlock the skeleton key and put some stress on linebackers uh, with him coming out of the backfield, uh, not just on, you know, yeah. flares and swing routes. I, I want to see him vertically down the field. Well, I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that because as much as they did that with Najee Harris um, a couple years ago, but that wasn't Bill O'Brien. So that's probably why it was, too. It was Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the big difference there. But it's fascinating mm -hmm. that, you know, changing coordinator with the team can make such a huge difference. And, and with what we saw there with, um, Jameer Gibbs. But today we're going to take a look back a little bit um, in addition to talking maybe about some of the bowl games a little bit or, or thoughts about bowl games and how that impacts draft capital or, or, or at least the perception of these players in the draft media. Maybe we'll put it that way. Um, but we're going to talk about some players from last year who we graded higher than the consensus, who we did, what we thought about some of these players um, in terms of did um, did we not expect them to perform well early, but nothing's really changed about how we see them? Or did we expect them to perform early and the jury's still out on them based on what we've seen? Or have they outperformed what we saw from them? And is it, you know, what are the factors that are involved there? So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, obviously, um, you know, if you're a fantasy player, you know, it was a we had a you know really unfortunate event happen on Monday night with um, you know with Darren Hamlin with Damian Hamlin, excuse me, um, and that was you know I didn't get a chance to catch the game. I didn't see what happened, but I had heard you know obviously like pretty much everybody else listening to this, and we want to send the best out to his family, and I know that. You know, Felix, you had some things that you'd like to share about that as well. So, you know, please take the floor. Yeah, I think yesterday kind of reminded us of the human element of these games and of these players. And if, if you know, it, it's kind of my work since I've started publicly talking about football players has been geared to that human element. I like to dig deep into who these people are. Uh, athletes are as people, whether that be, you know, learning that a college football player after their program uh, shut down during the pandemic, they got to go back and live with their mom, who's an ER nurse treating patients with COVID or uh, a recruit who's uh, the first black quarterback at his, you know, prestigious kind of private uh, high school. Those are just things that I like to try to track to, to see 
who these people are, but it's really about how these players get to chase their dreams and we get to watch, you know, there's not really another space where we get to see that happen in real time. Matt, I've heard you talk, you know, a bunch about chasing your dream and to do what you're doing now and how, you know, your wife has helped you, but we, we weren't there with you on those days and nights where you probably had to make some sort of stressful decision about some sacrifice or some, you know, life altering choice. We get that opportunity with sports. We get to see these young women and men chase their dreams in real time as unfinished products, especially in my space, because we follow their high school careers, their recruiting trajectory. Um, If they've had to fight up a depth chart, if they had to transfer or deal with switching positions. And just a real quick, just before you go further, just a good example of that is the difference between what you and I do is I don't study um, anybody but quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end really on a much basis. So I, I had trouble remembering DeMar Hamlin's first name um, as I was introducing this, you know, and it just is an example of just like guys I don't keep track of. You know, it's it's hard, but nonetheless, I just wanted to make sure I made that correction with him moving forward. But it just kind of highlights the difference of what who we keep track of and what we know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we I guess I'm saying all of that to say in the wake of what's happening with DeMar Hamlin, still in critical, critical condition as of 8 p.m. Eastern time, I've kind of just taken a moment to reflect on how much these athletes inspire me personally, it inspired me to chase my dreams, work hard, be a, ch- a change. I mean, it, especially in the case of DeMar Hamlin, being a change agent. He was a six-round draft pick, making an impact for a Super Bowl contending team. And in the last few hours since the injury, we've gotten to hear more of his human story. He's a yinzer, mother runs a daycare, something that my mom did when I was little. Um, running a daycare in the house, you know, started raising money for Christmas tree, uh, Christmas toy drives when he was in college, not even when he was in the NFL, when he was in college, that's the, the GoFundMe that everyone is giving to now. Uh, so, you know, it wouldn't feel right if I just didn't, it was just kind of sorting through my thoughts and what I was thinking about this situation is just, I, you know, I'm inspired by DeMar Hamlin and how appreciative appreciative he appears to be for this opportunity. There are a lot of interviews now circling circling out there where you hear him talk about playing and the work that he's uh, doing in his community. But just recognizing that he had to fight and work hard and sacrifice to get to this point, and even before uh, he made it to the NFL, just he had the wherewithal to give back to his community. So. Um, I hope that he pulls through, but in some respects, I'm glad that we've gotten to see his hum- his humanity because I think that that gets lost in sports and can get lost in fantasy sports. And uh, at least for while this is going on, we the the audience that watches them, we get to see that these people are you know human beings. And so I'm I'm at least appreciative of of something in that respect. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty heartened by what I've seen in terms of the outpouring, and the response um, concerning what happened to Demar Hamlin, and and it's one of those situations that I I love the point that you made about this is that because it is very true when you look at the way that the media can be very much oriented towards attention seeking behavior to get clicks or lessons or views. Um, oftentimes it's regarded around saying something that draws the attention just for the sake of drawing attention. Um, And then, you know, as I've joked with some people um, in the past 24 hours who had expressed real concern about DeMar Hamlin or what that's meant to them, it it hits some people hard in this community who, who are fantasy analysts or football writers who, you know, they don't realize that it's going to have the emotional impact on them when they see something like this. Um, and so I've had a couple of conversations with some people 
who that's their business in terms of who they are, but who, who really it did hit home with them. But, you know, and then they bring up, you know, some of the behaviors of some places. And I say, you know, you have to understand that the way the world is, sometimes the, the media behaviors are what they are. There is a, there's a station that I would joke that if, and it's not ESPN, because I just put that out there, you know, there are some, there are some stations that you see that I joke that um, if you're, if you're working there, you've probably run over everyone near and dear with you, with your bus, and then looked the camera straight in the eye and said, I didn't see a bus. Um, but you know, even that's complicated because people are complicated. We don't always know the full story behind a lot of things. And this is often the case when you're in a performance oriented profession and you see yeah. players who, who've had to work so hard, but if you're a, if you're working a nine to five gig and especially if you're working one that whether it's manual blue collar white collar whatever collar it is pink collar you know it can be the type of situation where you may not want to do what you do every day you may not like getting up in the morning and and or going to bed at night and wish that the night could be longer because you you're dreading having to get up and do what you you have to do and you just can't wait for the day to be over. And there are a lot of people like that. I've been there. Um, so when you see someone who's doing something and they're living their dream, um, you often say, well, that, that's what you say. It's living the dream. And there's a lot to that. I think for people who have the opportunity to be doing something that they enjoy, even when it runs them down and it's hard and the season is coming to an end like this particular space and you get burned out, it can be a good reminder to go, well, would you prefer to be in a different industry that you can't stand, not be around your family as much as you'd like, not be able to, you know, you're worn out and more is expected of you on the way and you're completely, you know, emotionally or intellectually burned out and you wish that you could be doing more original or creative work or different things. How would you feel if you were, how would you feel if you were in a, in a different situation? And usually the answer is, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'd be, it'd be awful. This is just tough. It's not, it's not awful. And I think that that can put things into perspective. And I think also we should put things into perspective that, you know, all these, all these people who are doing this work are young human beings. And sometimes they come from, sometimes they come from situations that are better than a lot of people in our audience. Sometimes they come from situations where they're in situations that were a lot worse. And the things that they've learned and seen and, you know, how the world has shown them whether they care or not about them or care or not about their families or care a lot or not about the schools or the, the, the communities or whether the police come when you call them or whether they, um, you know, or who is going to show up for you if there's a problem or who won't and, you know, relative to, you know, to where maybe someone else grows up. Um, these can all have an impact of how we see the world. And I think that athletics allows us sometimes to see the world in a way, get a glimpse of worlds that we don't necessarily have um, access to, or we don't create opportunities to have access to that maybe we should. And, and I think that oftentimes people find, um, miss out on seeing that. They just see it as entertainment and theater and then they can just point at it and laugh or scoff or make fun of it or be angry about it, but not really look deeper to understand. And, and I do find that we do have a lot of fans who do make that effort. Um, and I think that that's the best of what sports can do is give us a chance to make an effort to understand other points of view, to understand how other lives are, um, built the the positive and the negative what what creates flaws that people have to overcome what create what flaws or difficulties have created positives that we might ourselves look at and go i don't know if i would have ever gotten through that i don't know if i've been able to handle this and so you know the thing that i'm most encouraged though by felix is that the fantasy community most of all from what i've seen has kind of put the 
perspective on this well. I mean, this was a championship week. I'll give you a good example is I'm in a league, an old-time league with a bunch of riders, and I was in the championship with another rider, Ken Moody of DLF. And, you know, we went into this Monday night game. He had T. Higgins. I had James Cook. Um, James Cook, Joe Mixon, and um, who's the third guy? Oh, and Tyler Bass. And the, there was he was up by, I think, six or seven points before the game started. You know, I don't know what the game is right now. We haven't bothered to really look. Um, but what's been indicative of um, most people in this industry, it's been about, you know, what's more important is DeMar Hamlin's health. And I know that some people have a lot more money on the line and fantasy leagues have to sort that out. But I appreciate the understanding that most people have had to put this in perspective and say, we'll figure this out. And it's not the end of the world. A lot of people are saying, listen, let's just split the pot and just say we're co-champions this year. Some are saying, listen, if if this team's way ahead, let's just I'm just going to concede. Let's just do expected points or let's put in you know, backups and, and, you know, I want to cite Ken being in the spirit of most fantasy people that I've seen because he wrote both our commissioner and me because I got an email from a co-league member and said, what do you think they should do? And I said, I really don't care. Like, I don't, I mean, if you, if someone wants to call him the winner, I'm good with that. I don't care if they want to play it next, wait till next week. That's fine by me. If they want to do some other thing, you guys just let me know. Whatever's good for the league. We've all been here enough. It doesn't matter. Um, and and that's good. And Ken expressed that same spirit in an email saying, you know, this is what I, you know, I'm good with whatever, you know, let's, let's figure it out. And I said, I am too. I don't really care. You know, we'll let the commissioner make the call and I'll go along with whatever you want to do, you know, and and I've seen that across this hobby. And I think that it's nice to be able to point out um, moments like this where people are behaving in a in a humane manner and thinking about the complexity of a situation and not putting themselves necessarily first and and trying to. uh you know, display that spirit of generosity and compassion and empathy um, and and sportsmanship, you know. And I think that that's a, you know, that's a reflection a little bit of what we saw also with the two coaches in this game. You know, same thing. The fact that they were like, yeah, we're not, we're not playing, you know. And, and I think it's also important to note that I've, you know, I've seen some criticism about how the NFL handles it. Um, and there's certainly going to be room for improvement there, and I'm not going to argue that point at all. I do think that, um, you know, communication, I would like to see communication maybe be a little bit better if they're going to use the NFL's, if they're going to use major media as a PR arm, which they do. They just like just like the military embedded CNN reporters with them whenever they go invade a country um, and use that as their own method of um, manipulating for PR. Um, the NFL kind of does that and to get free PR, you know, or part of their media package with they that, you know, these, um, with these deals, it would be good if they, I, I think it would be good if they could, uh, communicate things a little faster to, to people who, um, who are doing the PR for them. And that's, that's a delicate situation. Um, considering that this was a rare, how many times have you seen someone going to cardiac arrest on a football field. I would argue that they're prepared for spinal injuries. They're prepared for orthopedic uh, injuries. Yeah. But I, I remember Daryl Stingley. I remember um, Chase Utley. And not Chase I was, Utley, I was Mike, at the game. Mike Utley. I was at the game in 1997 yeah. where uh, Reggie Brown went down with a spinal injury. Uh, <clears throat> the Jets placing the playing the lions in 1997 and uh and you know just how like everybody knows it you know you can yeah. feel the hush over um everything and that's something that you know everybody felt yesterday basically what you've 
it, it puts things into perspective and it lets you know what is important and what is not important. And um, I will, I will um, echo what it is that you're saying and, you know, just a pat on the back to the fantasy community and having that perspective yeah. um, over what's happened in the last 24 hours. Yeah. Especially with how, especially with how passionate the fantasy community can be and how ambitious a lot of the writers can be and a lot of young people can be about trying to make a name for themselves in the space um, and trying to do things. I think it's great to see overall the level of maturity that there is. And I'm sure there are, there are bald exceptions that, that we haven't seen that, that are just too bad. But I like the fact that after a while, maybe we're starting to grow up a little bit and, and I'm not saying it's going to change overnight, but I, I'm kind of hopeful that maybe we are going to get a handle on the social media thing and not be complete assholes to each other um, in, in terms of how we deal with it. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to be a long way away before that happens, but moments like this um, still give us an opportunity to show our humanity. And I think that that's, um, it's never going to, I mean, we're always going to have asshole moments, but when something like this happens, it's a nice, rem it, the, the, we don't ever want this to happen, but it's a nice to see that it does bring out the best in our humanity all, you know, more and more than anything. So, so with that said, I guess we're going to go on to far less important things, but hopefully fun things that, that will be enjoyable for you guys to, um, to, to listen to and think about on your own level here. I mean, let's, Let's talk about some players that maybe we graded higher than the consensus and maybe we didn't expect them to perform early, but nothing's really changed our minds about them, even though we haven't seen them do much as rookies. Who, who, who's on that list for you? I, the player that stands out the most to me is, is Carson Strong. And um, Carson Strong coming out of Nevada. And as I was, you know, doing this exercise and perform, you know, trying to identify some players to fit in these categories. Um, I kind of realized why I like certain players uh, at the quarterback position specifically. I think that you need reps. <laughs> you need reps over multiple seasons. You need to understand what your reads are. You need to understand um, those things intuitively, you know, what defender you're high lowing, or if you have man coverage, you know, who your best matchup is against. If a cornerback goes out with an injury and they bring in a substitute, you know, who that substitute is and where the matchup is. Like there are all of these little nuances and then having the, the confidence play over play uh, to be consistent. And Carson Strong played a lot of football at Nevada. He started for three years at Nevada. And despite, you know, his limitations, he was an aggressive downfield passer. And quite frankly, I, you know, I thought that he was going to bring back um, the the pocket passer. I really, I really did. I really did. I was happy when he got the senior bowl invite. Um, and I, th I, I thought that uh, going into the 2021 season that he had the potential to be a first round draft pick. Obviously, that didn't, that didn't work out. That didn't work out. Um, but I still thought that he was a talented football player. And then when he latched on with Philadelphia or signed with Philadelphia as an undrafted free agent, I thought that that was a good landing spot and a good organization to develop and eventually get the chance. But he's obviously been cut since then. I don't know what it – I don't know if there was an attitude problem or if it was the injuries, the health with the knee. Uh, he's worn a knee brace since his freshman season. Um I don't know exactly what it is, but he is the player that stands out for me, you know, most prominently on on a, a player that I was really, really uh, high on because he had he played a lot of football. He had a high completion percentage. He made difficult throws down the field, and I still, you know, pay attention to what Bill Parcells used to say about quarterbacks. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he believed. I think he wanted four four year start. He wanted senior quarterbacks. Their completion percentage had to be um, above a certain sixty one percent had to be yeah. yeah there there you go there were like three or four other things, um, and so you know when I'm 
I think I think subconsciously I still have that in the back of my head when I'm thinking about this this position uh, specifically. And, and Carson Strong uh, met some of those thresholds, but the problem is is that he probably met those thresholds for you know a quarterback playing in 1993, 1994, and not necessarily 2022. So yeah. uh, he he's a, a player that stands out for me. Well, I'm I'm with you. I would say he's on the top of my list too because he was my number two quarterback on the board, and you know we didn't get a chance to see him play. And the biggest reasons were, and this is what we knew is that the knee injury might disqualify him unofficially from being in the league, mm -hmm. and that there were rumors that maybe he rubbed people the wrong way now um we don't i don't know enough about that i don't think any of us do to really explain what that is or why but based on but that doesn't disqualify anything that he did on the field and we're watching purely on tape well i thought he was the second best second most talented quarterback in this class um and i you know, I think that he would have been up there with a lot of the guys in this year's class um, in terms of being an early round draft pick if he were healthy enough. And I'm not really worried about like the, to me, the pocket passer thing. Certainly, I mean, I understand, but, uh, you know, in the right system, it could still work today. And I still think that he could be effective if they weren't worried about his knee, you know, basically being, you know, glued together i don't know you know however that whatever's was going on with that i would i would add i'm still feel pretty good about matt corral he got hurt we're gonna get a chance to maybe if the the carolina panthers may draft somebody maybe they acquire a free agent or maybe they just stick with with sam darnold who's been playing better as, as of late and kind of like a, another jet quarterback maybe needed a little bit more playing time is a great point that you made which is Need a little more playing time, need some more reps, need some intermittent. I'm a believer in intermittent starts and intermittent bench time um, because I think that you need some time to be in the game. The coach then needs to say, you're getting in over your head. Let's pull you out before you ruin your confidence and start making dumb, dumber mistakes than what you did. Watch a veteran. Watch somebody else do it. Calm down get you back in in some key moments where you get experience where we go, all right, the game's tight. Let's give you a chance to, to try and win it. Let's give you a chance in this two-minute situation. But instead of you be freaking out for two and a half quarters about what you did wrong, you know, early second quarter, maybe you can now come back in in the fourth quarter and be a little calmer but still get some new experiences that can help you. And I think that that helped guys like Terry Bradshaw, John Elway, Steve McNair. I think mm -hmm. it helped Steve Young. I think it helped Brett Favre. Um, you know, even Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. You know, there's a long list of guys who, you know, Joe Montana had Steve DeBerg in front of him for a little while. You know, so there, there's something to be said, even with the older guys that I mentioned, that it, it's still, it's just that the the owner expectations are different. So I think Matt Corral still is intriguing to me. There's nothing I saw from Skylar Thompson that changed my mind about him either. Um, I think he looked pretty good in the limited time that, that he's been on the field. So, yeah, I would say this quarterback class, my one, two, three, nothing's really, nothing's really changed at this point with those guys. Um, so is there anybody else that you want to mention in that regard, or do we want to move on to another? Um, you know, Kyron Williams, uh, I thought I, I like these wide. I like these running backs. Excuse me, that have wide receiver backgrounds because we've seen um, that arch type have success specifically in the fantasy space. Yeah, David Johnson, Theo Riddick, CJ CJ Pro Size, two uh, Notre Dame uh, wide receivers, and even when he you know weighed in liked at the combine and ran a slow 40 time. I, I was like, okay, then, you know, this player is going to just be a value. And I, I think I still, I still believe that in some respects, this guy was a big time playmaker at Notre Dame, um, uh, in both <laughs> on all three downs. And I still think that he can find that sort of role for himself. Um, uh, whether it's with the Rams or, you know, on a second contract, 
I still think that he's a good player. Um, I don't know that I had him higher than consensus. I think before the combine, um, I had him, you know, just this in, rated or graded the same as anyone else. And then after the combine, people said, oh, this guy is an, an NFL player. And I just, I for certain players, you know, what they run in the 40 and what they weigh in, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot to, uh, to me. And, and Kyron Williams is one of those players for me. So I still, uh, I still believe that he can be, that he can have a role uh, in the league. And you think about some of the players that I named, CJ Proceis and Theo Riddick, those guys weren't three down players. You know, they were third down backs. They were two minute uh, drill uh, backs and had RB1 weeks. And I think that Kyron Williams has that potential. I like that, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's interesting when we take a look at at players. I mean, there are certainly, mm-hmm. you know, guys who, you know, that we look at and think, you know, that, that that could still be worthwhile for them. I mean, one of those guys is a running back for me. That's Kennedy Brooks. I probably had Kennedy Brooks higher than the consensus. And, he, you know, he went to a, went to an Eagles team where Miles Sanders played well. Kenneth Gainwell was still the darling of their third down back rotation. Boston Scott, they can't find a way to get rid of because he's actually better probably than Kenneth Gainwell. Um, but they've invested too much cat draft capital in him. Sorry, Eagles fans. That's just the truth and how I, I see it. Maybe that's not the truth, but that's my that's my studies of the two guys. And I like Kenneth Gainwell at Memphis, but I didn't think he was you know, on the level that maybe they drafted him. And then they they traded for Trey Sermon, you know? And so as a result of that, Kennedy Brooks, I don't see where he is. I don't see him. I don't think he's with a team right now other than I think he's on the the futures list for the Eagles right now. I think that's where he is, is on the practice squad right now for them. And, you know, I I guess I could look real quick, but when you look at their depth chart, let's see. Yeah, like on on their reserves, on the practice squad, He's not even on their practice squad. So he's not, and I haven't seen him on a practice squad this year. So he's essentially out of the NFL. Um, but from what I saw of him, I'm not, um, you know, I I, I kind of take the philosophy and I, and I do this regardless, is that until you see the player play at that level, yeah. It's dangerous to make a change or an assumption because people can say, oh, well, you know, he didn't even make the team, you know, so he can't be that good. I hear fantasy people say that all the time. And I think, well, that's a good assumption for being a fantasy player or um, who's making quick decisions. Or, But as an analyst of football, it's it's really not a good process because if Kennedy Brooks shows up like, you know, he could not be good enough for six other teams. And then that seventh team gives him an opportunity and he ends up dominating. And next yeah. thing you know, he gets a contract and maybe he's 29 years old and he has a career like Raheem Mostert who did that, you know, and people say, well, those are exceptionals and you don't want to lean too much. Well, I'm not telling you to lean on it. I'm just telling you that if you're going to evaluate talent, um, it's dangerous to just take a look at superficial things and say, well, he can't play because if he didn't get these opportunities, he just might not be able to play. What you That's better just to say, he didn't get these opportunities, so he's not going to be in my, he's not going to be on my mind or in, on my lists right now. But if we hear from him a year later or two years later and he's climbing a depth chart, if you're still thinking he can't play, then you've just crossed off a player who, for extenuating circumstances, um, may have actually been a lot better than you thought. So, you know, and that's it. Important. Reminds me of a, it, it reminds me of a conversation that I heard Tyreek Hill have with Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp was trying to narrow him down on who these you know top five wide receivers were, and he basically Tyreek Hill's response was basically what you just said. There are a number of guys. There might be twenty guys in the NFL that given the right opportunity could produce the same statistically that, that I could, you know, he even, he like, he identified Christian Kirk uh, as one, as one of those players. And so I think that it's a good point uh, 
that you that you make. I mean, part of we talked about tracing chasing the dream uh, earlier with Demar Hamlin, and part of chasing that dream is just it's, it's, it's kind of getting lucky with the numbers yeah. and having that opportunity. And not everybody does. And you you know you feel that with a player like Kennedy Brooks or or Carson Strong, both of whom landed there with the Eagles. So I think it's a good point. Uh, that you make regarding Brooks. And it's a great one. I mean, you can look at it in any type of performance profession. Um, it can be a numbers game. I, I had a college roommate who, um, you know, he, I laughed because when I think about him, he can, his name is Matt. And he was, um, he was a talented keyboard player and played trombone. And I used to have to wake him up for his, his music lessons with from a ex-symphony player who was a fantastic professor and fantastic teacher and performer and i'd have to wake him up and you know we'd laugh about that all six foot six of them he should have played defensive end probably i think that redan high school and in, in uh in the stone mountain area of atlanta was was chasing him around and the the, the the coaches were probably chasing him around to play on the line but um but you know he was um you know, he was in the music. He was part of a band. This band had a had a singer who used to sleep on our couch, and um, you know they would go to all the music festivals back in the late '80s, early '90s. South by Southwest. They played at CBGBs in New York. They played at a bunch of places, and I'd hear them come back and go, "Man, the Black Crows just got signed to a, a recording deal, and we had a better set than they did." You know, and they said, you know, and then they would go, you know, they're good and they deserve it. But like they would they would say, you know, when are we going to get a break? When are we going to get an opportunity? You know, and my 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 roommate, he played keyboards with them. And then I remember leaving school and we lost track a bit. I, I kept in touch with other roommates a little more than him. But, you know, I went to high school, um, you know, he and I knew each other since high school. And I look up one day and Collective Soul was this band that was climbing the charts. And, and uh, you know, the guy who produced it was my was my roommate who played keyboards on it. And he went on to be the youngest um, CEO of a major record label, Virgin American Records. He worked with Jermaine Dupree. He wrote songs with Willie Nelson. Um, you know, he discovered Matchbox 20. Um, you know, he's, you know, he lives in a castle somewhere by the, out on the on, on the coast of and I kid you not I think you could look up his his house I think his name is Matt Serletic, um, S E R L E um, T I C and you could look up Matt Serletic's house and it's literally a castle by the sea out in California which I think Felix is going to look up um, and check out and it's funny because it's a numbers game when you when you take a look at you know musicians and I know musicians who you know, who have tons of talent who never get that kind of type of an opportunity um, because there's so many other things that are involved in terms of what you invest in. And so, yeah, a guy like Kennedy Brooks, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I saw him as kind of a James White, Bilal Powell type of a talent um, and just didn't get an opportunity this year to see where that's at. So he's a player that that certainly makes that list for me. Um, Jarian Ely of Ole Miss. I would not be at all shocked if Jaron Ely, after his, um, you know, his suspension for using a, a substance not on the the approved list, doesn't find his way into a training camp battle for a third down role for the Chiefs next year. You know, he would be a good example of a player that I could totally see Andy Reid saying, "Yeah, we like this kid. He can be our punt returner." Nicole Hardman might not be back. You know. Maybe they need a punt return specialist. Maybe Isaiah Pacheco. They need a sec a, a second guy, and and we and Jarek McKinnon is what he is. And maybe we want to see a little bit more. I mean, Ely was getting first team reps a little bit in in August before he got suspended. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little Dave Meggett and Jerry and Ely, and he could um, turn into something. So what about players who maybe we didn't? Um, who we expected to perform early, but we still think the jury is out on them um, based on what we have seen of them playing. That they've played and we're like, they've had moments, they look pretty good, but I'm not completely sold on them yet. You know, this feels like 
it feels like there's one answer for this question. And that's Christian Watson. Um, that's Christian Watson. You know, can he be this number one alpha wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers? Or are the drops and the ball tracking issues going to plague him uh, his, his entire career? I did not. I mean, he made the jump from the FCS level. And I, I, you know, I know how he tested out the combine, but quite frankly, I think the combine tracks have been juiced a little juiced uh, the last couple of years. So I didn't necessarily buy some of that, but it, I mean, this feels like a Christian Watson question. Um, you know, some folks might have him in their top 15 or so given the situation and quite frankly, that athletic profile and what he's done, what he's done on the field. I mean, what he, it, you know, he's, he had that stretch where, uh, he was really performing well, but how much confidence that we should should we have in him as a number one wide receiver? I think I still question that. You know, is Green Bay done um, drafting and acquiring talent at the wide receiver position, or do they need to? Add, is Christian Watson a number two guy? I think that that's this feels like you know a, a Christian a Christian Watson answer, and so that's uh, that's my answer for this one. That's cool. I I can see that. I mean, it's funny because Adam Harsad and I had a had a had a show dedicated to him and what what we thought in terms of where we're at. But I can totally understand that. Um, a guy for me, I've I've probably got two that I feel that way about. Um, one is Wandale Robinson. I just I can't get past I can't get past him as more of a gadget player. Um, I don't see him as a as a go up and win it one-on-one single coverage type of player. I see him more as a Isaiah McKenzie type, which could be good. I mean, that's good, but it's not great for fantasy. Like, it's just like, now he's done a little more than that. And, you know, before he got hurt. Um, but I, I didn't, what I saw was a player who kind of, he may be a good scheme fit, but I don't necessarily see him ever being a wide receiver one. I see him having occasional wide receiver one weeks. I don't see him being anything more than maybe a, at best a mid to low range wide receiver two in fantasy. Um, and I and I actually think there are other players who fit. Would you say that that's what Jarvis Landry was in Miami? That's a good question. And I would say that is very true. That is very true. He was, that's a good point. He was that. And so that could give you, based on sheer volume, that could happen. But I don't know if Jarvis Landry at the time that he was doing that was anything but an emergency needed player on a team that wasn't all that good. Um, whereas I think... We saw what Brian Dable's able to do with this team that I don't think they're going to be in that situation. I don't know. I don't think, I think they've, I think what they've been able to do with Richie James and yeah. Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins tells us that um, Wondell Robinson isn't going to need to be fed that much. I, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm still, jury's a little bit out for me on him. I'll say, Jury's also a little bit out for me on Isaiah Pacheco. Um, I liked him coming out. Um, I still think that I like that he runs hard. I like that he's fast. Um, he can catch the ball. Still want to see him better as a see a little better pass protection from him. I still haven't seen him break a lot of tackles. Um, he had a really big moment late in the Broncos game. That was nice, but I that was the one that I saw. And when I see one all year, that's not enough for me to grade a guy and go, he's going to be a, he's going to be a, um, a lead running back for years to come. He strikes me as a guy that maybe is a better fit for what the chiefs did than Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Clyde Edwards Hilaire having difficulty staying healthy and maybe difficulty getting back to his form is an issue with that. And Jarek McKinnon, who, you know, is a terrific space player, but between the tackles can sometimes be the bird flying into the window in terms of what he does vision-wise. So, you know, those are two guys where I think the jury 
is out on them. So what about uh, what about players that when we look at, we think they perform better than we expected? Um, you know, who's on that list for you? Last season at Iowa State, I was calling for uh, <laughs> Matt Campbell to bench Brock Purdy in favor of, I think he's a sophomore at the time, this kind of big lefty who could run uh, Hunter Deckers. And... <laughs> I think uh, what Brock Purdy has done, you know, being implemented as the third string quarterback there for San Francisco is, is really remarkable. And I said earlier that I like quarterbacks who have gotten a lot of reps uh, in college and Brock Purdy played a lot of football uh, there at, at Iowa, at Iowa state. And uh, man, did he land in a good situation because you see, I mean, I was watching that, uh, that, that Raiders game. It's been, it's something that I've always admired about play callers like Kyle Shanahan and really Sean Payton is when they get to the red zone, they say, all right, I need a little bit of space here. How do I create that space with a play action, uh, you know, a, a play fake. Um, anyway, so he, he's landed in a good situation. The space that you have to defend with, with San Francisco as a defender. I mean, you they put a lot of stress, I think, on your safeties and linebackers. George Kittle uh, uh, and uh, Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield. Like, you know, Brock oh, Purdy by the can way. go through. Yeah. yeah, Brock Purdy can go through his progressions and like, you know, I'm just going to take this uh, this check down to Christian McCaffrey. Um, but it's, it's – you can tell that, you know, with every throw, with every throw, with every – slant or check down to, to Christian McCaffrey, he gets a little bit more confidence and you see him get bolder where he takes a shot to to George Kittle or or Brandon Ayuk. Some some shots that he shouldn't take. Um but it's definitely it's definitely uh uh Brock Purdy. I did not think that he was an NFL quarterback and he was Mr. I mean he was Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. Chad Kelly was Mr. Irrelevant too, by the way. Um but uh 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 yeah it's 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 Brock it's Brock Purdy for me. It's Brock Purdy for me. How confident he's playing yeah. um, is a surprise for me. And it, and it is, you know, he's not just checking the ball down. He's not just checking the ball down. Uh, he's finding guys downfield. And, and the there was a touchdown that he had to, I think it was Kittle, on a broken play where he had to scramble to his left. You know, uh, that that's a that's that's a big time throw for a seventh round draft pick yeah. uh, against the Raiders. So um, he's definitely exceeded my expectations. I got to I got to do a, um, I got to do a little consulting for his quarterback coach pre draft, um, and I was asked for a scouting to give a scouting report on him and give a film review on Brock Purdy. Um, and one of the things that really was notable about him to me was that you could see that he saw things developing in the manner that a really good quarterback would see. And he was aggressive enough to want to try and make those plays work. So the problem sometimes came where he didn't, quite have the arm talent to make the play some of the plays that he saw and that in the college game there was less there was more room for error so he would push the boundary to the point of error and then you'd look at those on tape and say "Ooh, that's not going to fly in the nfl you can't do that whereas maybe what's happening is that because he, he's in one of those situations where the NFL margin for error is much smaller, that somehow he's been able to calibrate that and go, I can't mess around with some of this stuff anymore. But he's figured out the line of where he can't, what he can do. And maybe it was simpler calculus for him than it is with other players. Um, the other thing that I always liked about him was that I always thought he had terrific pocket presence. Um, and that's shown up with him thus far. Now, I still think that if he if he ends up getting the job next year, 
if that ends up happening. I still think he's going to get tested. That arm's going to get tested. And we're going to see whether or not he can either get stronger and throw with more velocity or whether he's going to be wise enough to be able to shoe opportunities that defenses are going to try and bait him into. Um, go ahead. Well, I mean, he, he, he still hasn't, you know, had uh, Debo Samuel at, at full health. So, I mean, that makes it easier to, you know, check the ball down when you've got these guys who can run after the catch, Debo, yeah. Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. Um, it's a yeah. great it's a great surroundings of talent and i would say if i were to give my guy it'd be tyler algier um tyler algier for me i did not had have him rated very high i saw him as a gap runner who played in outside zone at byu but his lack of great speed great burst and his ability to track pursuit just was problematic for me to the point that I thought to be a zone runner, you have to see and read things a little faster or more accurately than he does. And just how many teams actually play gap when we're thinking about it heading into 2022. Heading into 2022, most teams didn't use gap schemes. The The Colts did. Um, the Patriots did. Um and then there were a few other teams that we could say prominently did or used them on occasion. But most teams were still in that wide zone phase. So I'm thinking, here's a runner who ran wide zone but really wasn't particularly great at it. I've seen it with Tevin Coleman. He's a better gap player, but the NFL seems to like gap players who run fast or are extremely big and, can, and are a little bit of both. Like Derrick Henry. We'll let Derrick Henry run gap. We'll let guys with superb footwork like LeGarrette Blunt or Jerome Bettis run gap. You know, big dudes like that. Or they, or we want the small speedsters like Chris Johnson running gap. You know, someone who can hit it so fast. So Tyler Algier was kind of in the middle of that. So when I wrote, he'd probably be a good gap runner, but I just don't see a team doing that. Well, lo and behold, now he's in Atlanta. Atlanta runs a ton of gap now. Um, they also, all the defenses, all the offenses in the NFL are now running more gap because they've realized that that's the play. Those are the, the blocking schemes to use against these nickel looks with, with safety linebacker hybrids. It's something that Lori has written on the website. Uh, Lori, is it Fitzpatrick? Yeah. That Lori has written, written on, um, and I've cited that work, uh, in some other things that I'm working on. So, uh, you know, go check that out. Lori, Lori does good work. You do, you know, obviously do the show with Lori also. Yeah. So she's written on this, on this point. Yeah. And as a result of that, it's, you know, you could see it from, you could see it from the beginning of the, the season, you know, that this was happening and, uh, you know, yeah, definitely check out what Lori's done and, and you'll see the details with that. And it's as a result of that, Tyler Algier found his fit. Will it sustain itself? He runs hard. He can catch the ball. Um, I, I think unless it, you know he's at that, he's at that level of draft capital. He's at that level of ability where Atlanta might say, well, if we find an opportunity to get a better back, we might draft a better back, and we still have Algier in our plans. But he may be a contributor more than a lead guy. Or they may look at it and say, look, we're happy with what we got. We got other areas to focus on, and Lord knows they got enough to focus on there to become the t team that they need to be to be competitive. So they might just say we can we can roll with them for a little longer, you know, as our starter. He's a good he's a good young back for what we do. So I I certainly think that he's a guy that jumps right off the page for me as one that performed better to expectation. Um, and I think some of it is just due to that what he fit well with. I didn't think was going to happen in the NFL and it did. So that's, that's awesome. So let's, let's talk about some of these bowl games. I mean, listen, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch a ton because I've been studying a lot of quarterbacks and running backs this weekend, but I did happen to catch the last two to three minutes of a certain Ohio state, Georgia game. Um, and, yeah. and my family members who are all Ohio state alums, um, are reticent to want to have a conversation with me now, even though I'm yeah. not that big of a Georgia fan. 
But, you know, what mm. were your thoughts about performances that caught your eye just to begin with? I, I think that C.J. Stroud is the answer. And it's because we knew that he was a good player. But I think that the consensus comp or play style comp for C.J. Stroud before the Georgia game would have been Jared Goff. But then against, you know, one of the best defenses in the country, he starts making plays out of structure. He's sidestepping interior pressure to make some throws, including, well, you know, one of the, t- the two touchdowns to uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. This is just not um, a play style that we had seen from him. He was a guy that wanted to keep his feet, you know, uh, uh, still in the, in the pocket and be protected. And it's, it's funny because his first action as a freshman in 2020 was a like a 60-yard run against Michigan State on the road. And since then, he has not really been a, a, a playmaker moving around in the pocket or running until he gets to this game. Um, He's been sandbagging just, people. Yes. Well, well. I think that this is what Coach Ryan Day does. I think that he does not let his quarterbacks run, maybe for the fear of, you know, we don't want to play the backup and we've got national championship aspirations. But I, I and I've said this a lot on the Campus to Ken podcast feed, I really think that you can be selective about what tools you're going to use in college, but you can't do it in the NFL. We've seen it with Justin Fields this year. You know, was not a rusher, had the athletic ability, but was not a rusher in in college. I think, that, again, I think that that's, I think that that's the way that those Ohio State quarterbacks are coached. Bryce Young, a guy who has tremendous athletic ability and will scramble and scramble to throw. Uh, C.J. Stroud, another one, has to use all the two. Josh Allen had 200 yards rushing. Um his last season at Wyoming. And I just think that the NFL forces you to use everything that you have to get first down. So I, I liked CJ Stroud. I really liked CJ Stroud even before this game, but man, did he show some confidence doing some things off script that we had not seen him be comfortable doing in two seasons as the starter. And if this is the type of player that he's going to be with what he can do, you know, throwing the ball downfield in that eight to 15 yard range, he seems really, really comfortable there. He's going to have, I think that he's going to have a really high, a really high ceiling. Um, He's a player that I've wanted for my Detroit Lions because they've got the offensive line. They've got comparable um, talent at the wide receiver position versatility at the wide receiver position. And we haven't even seen, you know, what Jamison Williams is going to do to cornerbacks and safeties and defensive coordinators planning for his, his deep speed. Um, So CJ Stroud really, really impressed me. It's just, you know, it's not the fact that he kind of, you see boxers boxing, they'll, they'll, they'll change fight styles in the middle of the fight. And it's CJ Stroud did that versus, versus Georgia. Uh, He became more of an off script playmaker um in a really good game so i think i thought that that was super super encouraging and if you are you know the colts or the lions or one of these teams that needs a quarterback you might feel a little bit better about this class uh after watching after watching that game it's i I like what i saw from cj strap i loved it and you know I, i i love that that's a great answer for a player and certainly this was a a great opportunity for us to be able to talk about, you know, a variety of topics this week. Um, I've, I'll be remiss to say that if you haven't checked out the Campus to Canton League, you know, please make sure you do so. Um, you know, it's a fantastic way to be able to combine both college fantasy football with NFL fantasy football in a dynasty setting so that the players from the college game migrate over to your NFL roster. So you really get a chance to kind of do some scouting, advanced scouting of these players, um, and then they become meaningful not only on your college roster,
but also feed into your NFL roster. Um, it's a really simple way to get started. You can go to campusdecanton.com and, you know, it's just going to make you better in every aspect of what you do and just be a lot of fun. It's a different way of going about things. And of course, you know, the RSP is now available for pre-order um, for $21.95. Um, you can get it at mattwaldman.com. Um, for those of you who are subscribers to the 2022 services, um, I've sent out a newsletter. If you didn't get it, email me and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. But it's a, you know, for those of you who subscribed last year, giving you notice that I'll be coming out with, um, a, with updated projections and rankings, um, probably no later than Saturday. Um, and then, uh, you know, you'll get another one in June and then, the, your ser the service starts over in June as well. So I kind of have an overlap there. Um, but yeah, this will be the last newsletter for that. Um, this, you know, for December, I'm a little bit behind here, but you know, that's just how it goes. But, uh, but I appreciate you guys and, uh, you know, appreciate the feedback with the work. And of course, Felix and I are very thankful to, you know, have you guys as an audience and, and, you know, providing the commentary that you do. And uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk a little bit more about these guys and take you through the draft season and enjoy, you know, some of the things that will come through with that. Have a good day.